I'm Valentin Beifunk. I'm director of Mares, which is a center for contemporary art in Maastricht. And we have a program on the census, part of which is not only a whole series of exhibitions, but also a series of training the census, where we explore with all kinds of speakers in science, but also with artists, with musicians, what it means actually to train the census. We all have a lot of sensory behavior and a lot of sensory perception, but we always feel like it's something natural that's untrainable. And on these nights already for five years, we train those senses. Hello, my name is Maribel Ortega. I come originally from the Dominican Republic. I'm based in Munich for the past uh, 20 years. I have a coaching practice and I help professional women find their voice, work with their body language so that they create the impact in their profession that they are looking for, so that they ultimately lived, uh, live fulfilled lives. I'm Katinka van Kan, I'm from Maastricht, a part of the student radio Maastricht, that's also why I'm here in the conversation. We are very interested in the topic of social distancing, because um, it has has had a lot of influence on uh, yeah, the student life here in Maastricht as well. So I'm very excited to be a part of this conversation and yeah, curious about what we're going to learn today. Now let's first talk about the, the topic, social distancing. Very pertinent at this moment. Um, Absolutely. But maybe you've been dealing already with it before the corona times so and maybe there's another practice you can bring to it. Well, yes, the, the idea was to combine what we're experiencing now because of this yes. pandemic this year, um, something that is strange to human nature, and that is social distancing, especially because it's imposed on us and, and, and not chosen, and connect that with body language and the way we usually use our body language and how that has changed because of the imposed social distancing that, that we need to follow. What is lacking in communication, interpersonal communication, and whether new things are there, other things that uh, are arising because of that. We, we get there in a little bit, but maybe good to say something about what you do in regular life. You're a coach, you're, yes. a, you're a body person, you, you do a lot of things that actually qualify you to do everything that has to do with this distancing, right? Or rather the opposite. Uh, well, I would say more more in that direction. My regular job or, or what I do in my business, I have a coaching practice, business coaching. And I specialize specifically with empowering and increasing the confidence of professional women who, because of a long story of misogyny or having had to fight for their rights, it's kind of like ingrained in their brains that they can't speak up, that, that it's not okay, that they have to be this good girl. So many of the things that we work uh, or I work with them is, has to do with body language because a huge amount of communication, of the message of your communication, specifically 55% of the message when you communicate is through body language. And the way 
that what I do with my body, my gestures, my face, that has a huge impact in what I'm saying. Not only the words and not only the intonation, that's, that's of course important, but it's not the most important. They always say 10% of what you say is important, right? And the other 90% is what the body does and what happens in between people, right? Exactly, exactly. There's even one, one TED talk of um, a, a really interesting uh, experiment of a guy who basically says nothing. During those 15, 20 minutes, he just continuously say, so I'm here and I'm going to give you the impression that I'm saying something something intelligent and important and then I'm going to go like this and show you this, this image and whatever and it looks if you if you look at it without the sound it looks like wow that guy he has presence he knows what he's talking about and if you turn on the sound it's just yeah bs <laughs> you know and he did that on purpose to show how important yeah. body language is. Oh, that's yeah, really yeah. smart. And he smart. makes a point. Yeah. He makes his point. Yeah. Give, me, give me an example of the women you have in your practice. Sort of what, is, what is it you teach specifically? What, what do you note in posture maybe or in gesture? or In posture, crossing the legs or holding holding their hands in between their knees. That's exactly what I'm doing now. What they, can you tell me what, what does it mean? <laughs> it means that that you're closed. You're, if you cross your hands or if you cross your legs or you know like cross the hands and put them on on your on your stomach or in your chest is just giving the impression I really don't want to be here. I'm not open to your suggestions. Mm. And one of the most important things that changes that makes a huge difference in how you're perceived is where your shoulders are. If they're like hanging like in in front of you like slumping not good not good because you have to when you make yourself big and it's just really very nice you do very well it's a compliment listeners can't can't hear that huh? but i'm now flexing my <laughs> shoulders sorry, to take that correct posture and you're just exactly following exactly what i'm <laughs> yeah. saying so pushing the shoulders back automatically makes you seem bigger and it works twofold one thing is what i see i see a guy who is standing straight and that just gives me the impression of confidence but the second thing also that's working is on yourself on your own mind you're thinking i feel my back muscles i feel as soon as you put your your shoulders back you start feeling your your you have to contract your back muscles and your belly muscles and then you feel them contract and that starts a process in your head of serotonin and a, a cortisol uh, producing. Makes you happy or strong. Yes, both. And this combination of these two things, what you're thinking and what the other is perceiving, that, that gives then the impression of confidence, of assertiveness. Of, of course, that's not all. That's the beginning. Go on. If well, if you start, you know, stuttering and saying, "Well, the, the, well, you know," then the whole <laughs> imagery then falls down. But probably you won't if you have practice. If you have practiced that, and it's a thing of creating this habit of, of posture and and correcting yourself as soon as you as 
I mean, of course, we're not robots, and sometimes you just want to lay back. Relax, yeah. Um, but if you're in an important conversation, a negotiation, you want to have a pay raise or whatever, something that matters to you, you're giving a presentation, during that time, you're going to be paying attention to that. And it's a matter of practice. It's not something that is, you know, from one day to the next. You just correct yourself and you improve. And it's little steps. The more you practice it, the more you become that. That person who has the aura of assertiveness. And that's what usually uh, I, I work with my female clients. I think Katinka wants to ask a question. Yes. Katinka. If I may, I was wondering, have you seen any changes in your coaching practice or like the, the maybe type of exercise or things that you do with your clients since social distancing, since we're not allowed to come physically close to each other anymore? Does that make any difference in how people maybe dare to open up? What I have seen is just in, in regular um, encounters with people, not with, with coaching clients, um, is hesitation when greeting someone. And it happened to me even when I came here and I wanted to say hello to uh, Valentin. You wanted to give me a hug, right? <laughs> and we couldn't. We couldn't, yeah. Well... Actually, I, I have trained myself in the past 20 years living in Germany that I can't be too warm like I would be in my, in, in my um, home country, the Dominican Republic, because it's just weird. Because in different cultures, people need different personal spaces and some costumes are normal or, or not. So I have adapted to that. But coming back to, to your question... Uh, I, I see a more hesitation in how, how close I, I can get to people and people feel just very insecure what is the right thing to do or both people, and, and this is just not, it's, um, doesn't connect to any gender, just with everyone, kind of like moving to shake hands and then both people remember, oh no, right, no, we're... We can't. We shouldn't. It's oh. best not to. In terms of coaching uh, clients, I just switched to coaching online. And one of my requisites is video. I, I want to see them and I want them to, to see me. I think that makes a, a huge difference. But apart from that, um, coaching works really well online. And with the type of maybe problems or challenges that your clients come to you? Has anything changed there now that we have this new way of living? Uh, so for the, for the women that you coach? Well, what I can really tell you, the most important thing, because um, I coach teams also in companies, so creating high-performing, cohesive teams. And I, I coach leaders of teams. And the biggest challenge that I have seen with all of them is that if they are used to working face-to-face, -face, they have a hard time creating that camaraderie, that feeling of we're a team or having everyone on the same page. They have a hard time doing that. And they think that it's not possible. And, well, it's incorrect. 
as long as you think that it's not possible, right? Because <laughs> there are companies that have been working with virtual teams because yeah, right. they just are. Some people are in India, others are in San, in in the U.S. and and they have always been virtual and it works. It's not the same, obviously, when you can go after work and and you have finished a project and then everyone go celebrate and and have a drink. It's, it's certainly not the same face to face. But if you are inventive, you can create that. Let's call it intimacy that a well-functioning team has also virtually. And it's not fair to compare them. They're just different when it's purely virtual and, and when it's face-to-face. I, w- I would think, uh, just uh, tagging on to, to that question, uh, maybe people need to even more think about posture. Now they do a lot of Zoom and Teams conferences mm-hmm. because you always have sort of the same frame of people. So I've heard already and also seen that people sort of at least dress up the upper body, right? They blur, they blur the background so that nobody sees the dirty dishes. You know, they, they, they bring their kids and their, and their pets and their parents out of the room. So there's a, a total controlled environment where there's a lot of focus on the posture because you don't see anything else. So I would assume that actually there's a lot of questions for you about this. So how do I do this? What do I wear? How do I look? You know? Um, well, yes, absolutely. And then the, th- the thing of virtual communication when it's with video is that what you see of the other person then is reduced to what the screen is. Gives you. Exactly. Because yeah. yeah. when you meet someone face to face, then you, you have this three-dimensional impression of somebody yes. sitting across from you. So I would pay more attention to to what the other person is seeing and include gestures with with the hands um, and also facial expressions are are important and pay pay attention do you train those too yes the one that people should train most smile yes <laughs> because you come a long way with smiling and and it's really easy that just creates a very very positive vibe and and just that that smiling that it doesn't need to be that i have to see your back molars it's enough to you know <laughs> to that um the crease uh, around the eyes and just the 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 edges of the mouth going a little bit up that's so welcoming and it's a it's a great way of creating that openness that what what I said before this not not crossing your your legs or or your arms because most of the body language that you can see in virtual communication is basically just the face and probably the the shoulders and you think maybe the shoulders and the posture are not so visible on screen so the smile becomes almost everything and the eyes maybe also to some extent yes absolutely the eyes and just in general your your facial expression i think are in virtual communication a lot more important than than the rest of the body and with that following proper virtual communication etiquette meaning something that for me is really hard 
to not interrupt and to wait that someone else finishes saying what uh, what they need to say because because of that internet connection or virtual communication it lacks a little bit of spontaneity that that you have in in face-to-face communication definitely the most effective and best way to communicate is in person nothing nothing tops that Mm -hmm. the least effective is texting or email because you only have words there. There's not even intonation there. Uh, there's uh, the little icons, emojis. Yeah. Very successful. <laughs> among, among some. Even though there are some that I don't get. I mean, what, what is this praying hands? Is it thank you or praying? Oh, someone's praying? No, I don't get that one. That's also very open to uh, interpretation like you say some people you have some hands that people think they are clapping other people think that they are waving and obviously a smiley emoji is very clear but there's so many emojis these days that i think that also there a lot gets lost in translation um and also in an email sometimes i get emails sometimes with an emoji and i'm like are you being sarcastic now or are you being sincere you know you don't you never really know Even in in in-person communication, there are lots of opportunities of miscommunication. Even if it's two people from same gender, culture, uh, year of birth, and and same first language, even that... Twins. Think of twins. (laughs) Even if they're twins. Can can have miscommunication in face-to-face conversation. And the less you provide so the less you see and if, if you don't hear anything because the intonation gives you a lot even if you are not seeing me and I say oh that's all right or if I say oh that's all right you know if I like it or, or not if it's just like okay just so so oh, that's all right and it's the exact same words that I'm saying and just the intonation tells you if I'm being just accepting a minimum or if I think that it's good. Mm. But while while you were speaking, Katika, I was thinking, actually, then the emojis are kind of like a way of adding body language to a text. But, hmm, I don't think it works so well because of the interpretation. Sometimes it works. Because sometimes you get a sentence that might be ambiguous, but, but then the emoji explains, this is the way I mean it. Sort of like, you know, you can have a, a text that is sort of not so nice, but if you put a heart behind it, mm-hmm. then you say it's in good faith and I'm joking or whatever. So that's actually kind of the nice thing about it. There's all kinds of variations you can make there. So, yeah, but it's not the same, of course. Do you sometimes have have people that you teach to bring their body in line with what they're saying? Because they don't so far, or you feel that there's... then it's incongruous? In presentation training, especially people who are quite introverted um, and have to give a presentation in front of other people that puts them in a situation 
that is very stressful for them. Usually these are people who interpersonal communication sucks energy out of them. That is the difference between an introvert and an extrovert. An extrovert gets energy from communicating with other people and feels comfortable uh, at that. And what you need to inject when you're presenting something is that if you want to convince and you're just standing there at the corner and not moving and not doing anything with your hands, the chances of getting your point across or just making that presentation interesting are really low. Um, so yes, I have worked with people trying to create with their bodies, synchronize what they're saying with a body language that adapts to that. And that means using the space. Well, you guys are specialists in theater, right? So use, using the, the space uh, that you have, if it's something important, then come forward. Or if you're talking about bad numbers or red numbers, then, then you move backwards using the, the hands to, to express what they want to say. And what I'm just doing right now, using silence to play with. Now I'm going to say some, so, something important. So listen to what I'm going to say. This is the most with the finger too. Part. Yes, with the fingers you, you can use the fingers, but using pace, the slowing down, uh, or, or playing with that, slowing down and pausing in the right moments, then that that gets the attention um, of the audience, and the body helps you with that. Uh, it seems to me I've I've. I see like sometimes singers, right, on a, on a stage and they have certain gestures and I'm not sure it's so much anymore now, but in, certainly in the past, right, they make certain gestures to go like this, like the sun or we're all together mm -hmm. or, and you think, you, you feel like a sort of, uh, that they're separated from the things they're singing about, not because it's not an illustration of what they sing, but they seem to come sort of natural and And by the same token, I th tend to think that I talk with my hands, and I've always done it. It's just sort of a natural extension of who I am. But if you don't have that, how do you learn to talk with your hands or with gestures if it's not part of something that's natural? Oh, how, yeah. how does that work? Practice. Yeah? I think the only thing that you can do is practice and getting positive feedback out of it. If you are doing it, intentionally if, if you have worked with a coach in order to inject that in, in in what you're saying or trying to to get your point across and then you see that using those techniques gives you positive results or you can convince more or you see that the people at your presentation are listening expectantly to what's coming then you get that positive feedback and then you are I think you are more influenced to continue using them more and more. At the beginning, always in, when, when it's things that, that you're learning, at the beginning you start using them 
consciously and you don't use them all the time. So it's or it's, you know, like like learning how to drive that at the beginning when you're passing uh, from first gear to second gear, you're always thinking, oh, now the foot and with practice at some point, it's just automatic and it's unconscious that movement and the same thing happens with that kind of uh, movement, you see that it, you have a positive impact or the results that you're looking for. Oh, and then, but for that, you need to be aware. You need to be after the situation to think about it. Mm, oh, that worked well. I'm going to do that again. Yeah. And then incorporate it in your repertoire in, in conversation. I'm looking at Katinka. Do you use your hands when you talk? I uh, use my hands when I talk when I'm doing a presentation I do it a lot when I'm having conversations with people um, when I'm on the radio because I'm on the radio a lot so then I don't because I know that it makes sounds uh, but I had to really learn how to not do that how to not clap while I'm talking or snap my fingers too much or so yeah I'm, but that is um, what you say Maribel about being aware of that it's really something that you have to learn either to to do it or to stop doing it uh, and that starts with being aware of how am I doing it naturally and then you can add on uh, add on things now, now that you're saying that I'm wondering do you think that something in your voice changes when you're on radio because you can't yeah. use your hands or your arms or clap or yeah, you use parts of your body to communicate? Um, never thought of that, but I do think so, because my radio voice is different than my speaking voice or singing voice. What are we hearing now? I, I think normal speaking voice, yeah. yeah. Now, now I'm, I'm starting <laughs> to think about it, so it might change in a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's, that's very different. It's the first time I was on the radio and I listened back to the show. I was like, oh, I sound, I sound a bit different than than I normally do, and I think that's, uh, that might be it, because you're focusing a lot on getting that message through your voice, not everything that you want to express or you want people to hear or feel, then that's your only tool. Short answer, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Maribel, did you have to learn anything, or do you carry this always with you already from being very young, that you, you just had to become self-conscious of it to turn it into a technique for coaching? I... I had to learn or I had to become aware of it. I think that's the best way of explaining that. And it started when I trained as an intercultural or to, to be an intercultural trainer. And one of the things that you observe in different cultures is different body language. That movement of the head, I don't know if you've heard of the yes, the Indian yes, no, that is it a yes, is it a no, that, that is different to, to what people in, in well, in, in Europe um, use. or and, and that was the first moment where I became aware that body language is not universal, that in many aspects is related to your culture, national culture, and that you can learn it and you can adapt it. If, if we speak in terms of cultural and geographical culture, then you should adapt the way you communicate with your body, personal space that people need. I was very used to, to the place where you live, 
for example, respecting the dealing with people in Latin America that need very little personal space and they are touching each other all the time during conversation and lots of hugs and and touching, clapping the shoulders uh, or two friends holding hands. That's completely normal to, yeah, in Germany where, where I live, I... I saw that people were uncomfortable when I came to near, and that's when I thought, oh, hmm, maybe I shouldn't get that close. Is it changing, though? I think in my lifetime, the value of the hug has risen immensely in the Netherlands. We didn't do any hugging when I was a kid. In fact, I think I had to regain my father's kisses when I was like 16 or 17, because before that we had been shaking hands or something. So, so we've gone from a much colder temperament to learning how to be actually much closer to people, not because we want to give up our private space, but because we want to gain more intimacy. I, I see this collectively going on in our society already for years. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you notice that in Germany? Because you've been there Almost 20, 20 years, years, no? Mm. Not enough. <laughs> oh, well, no. Um, I, what I have seen is that people do touch each other more, especially younger generations, uh, more than when I came 20 years ago. And one interesting thing that has happened because of the social distancing, I feel that people want to hug that that this is one of the things even if they didn't do it that that often or not as often as i would need for example for each person um, is different but i think that people now appreciate more the touch of another human being or just putting a hand yeah. on the shoulder because have you come up with new ways here also in the Netherlands? Yeah. How the to elbow. The, the elbow. elbow. Some people touch their feet because something's missing and, and they want to create some kind of body connection when they meet someone. Uh, It's also beginning and ending. Eh? The strange thing that I always experienced in the United States mm -hmm. is that when people meet, they, they very often say hi, just hold up their hand, but they don't touch. And it's a hygiene thing or whatever, especially when, when there's two couples that meet. The women don't have any interaction. Men might shake hand, but the women go like hi. And I think that this is... This is something that is very Western and it's very much like, you know, we're first seeing what, what kind of person you are and how you're... If you go to Belgium, you, you kiss people. In, in Spain too, actually, you kiss people the first time, you know, it's not a... Yeah. And I've noticed here that people say some are really hungry for a hug and some people say, lovely, I don't have to give these kisses anymore to everyone. Or people are not trying to kiss me all the time. I've heard this also a lot. So there's two, there's two directions this is taking us, no? Yes, I am. Um, Makes me very unhappy when people say that, but yeah. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that we'll try to uh, explore this evening. Is there another way of hugging, even if you don't touch each other? Because the, the thing of the hug is that there is 
there's contact of the skin, you feel the pressure of the arms of someone else, and that creates you just happy hormones. It it feels good in a in a very basic you know human just feeling yeah someone else i'm not alone someone else is there because we are uh human human beings are are social and they need other people so automatically this is something that your brain rewards you we have this relatedness in order to survive because one person alone no exactly can't do it um But maybe, we'll find out, maybe there are other ways of creating something similar. Maybe we need to use other senses other than the touch to create that intimacy with someone else. When when you're saying hello, maybe it could be just looking at each other's eyes a little longer than usual. And smiling. Yes, and (laughs) smiling, absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, but the amount of, of touching that someone needs or feel, feels comfortable with um, is really different. I had one session of intercultural communication. I had people from, from many different parts of Europe, and I explained this need of distance that is very different depending on where you, you grew up. And then suddenly this uh, Finnish lady stood up, Finally, I understand it, and I can come out. Please stop kissing me. I, I don't. It's not necessary. I don't need it. Uh, and everyone was really surprised because there were French ladies there, and she's, and you know they kissed like please like three times, and and she went along with it, but she didn't really need it because no, no touching was all. It was enough. Yeah. I want to bring you back a little bit to the senses because I'm very happy that you say we can train this because this is a training the senses series that we do. So we actually talk about things that we normally don't think about really of something that you can train, but it turns out you can train it a lot, a lot of these things. The senses part is what interests me here because how exactly do you train the senses? Is it because we train ourselves to feel things differently through our senses, through these trainings? I believe that when we grow up, we copy what we see. And for example, just the regular uh, interaction with someone when saying hello, shaking hands, you just pay attention to the handshake and a very short glimpse in, in the eyes of the other person and that's it. But because it becomes mechanical or automatic, we don't use all the senses. And as it would happen to someone who suddenly loses uh, the sense of sight, that they need to, because they don't have it, they rely on the others. And they start hearing more things. They, They need to use the touch more. So... I'm absolutely uh, convinced that this is something that is trainable. You just need to pay attention to that, to to any sense. And then we have many. I mean, it's not just two. We can smell the other person or look at someone else differently with more intent, 
We're going to be doing this tonight, looking at each other for a very long, uncomfortable time and go past that discomfort till you start looking at the other person in, inside of them. You fall in love with that person now, if you look long enough. That's what happens now. Have you guys ever done this? You, yeah, there, there's something in your hormone system that by itself gets there. It's very, it's, it's very important emotion. Yes, it's actually, maybe, maybe that's what, what you're talking about. There's, a, I, I don't remember which institute was that, but they, th th there was this experiment. They put together two people who don't know each other and they have to go through questions that are very intimate. Like, for example, wh what are you afraid of? What do you want your legacy in the world to be? So things that we don't usually talk to with to someone who we don't know. And they go through these uh, 24 questions and then they have to look at each other for four minutes, saying nothing, just looking at each other, sitting in front of each other. And I think like over 80% after that, we're in love. See? <laughs> after like... Were the questions important in the end? Hmm... We're going to find that out tonight. <laughs> I think do the it. questions are important because they create trust. Because you are showing yourself vulnerable. And when someone shows that vulnerability and, and you share that bag, that creates a bond. Mm. So I think it's, part, it's an important part of the experience. So tonight we're going to learn something about postures. Yes. Gestures. We're going to fall in love. Maybe. But the subject is social distance. Actually, we're not talking about social distance in the end. Huh? We're trying to talk about all the things you can do when society wants social distancing, but the body wants something else. We'll be, exactly, um, we'll be experimenting what else can we find in spite of the social distance. What else is there and how we can create a connection, a human connection, maybe an intimate connection uh, with, with another person. Maribel, do you think that sometimes like a hug or a handshake or you know, those things that we've learned how to connect with people, that we also use them to, uh, to hide behind it a little bit? Because if you cannot give somebody a hug... Uh, or a handshake, like you just said, then we focus on the handshake and you don't look each other in the eye. So that you're actually avoiding that connection a little bit. So with the social distancing, does that make us maybe more vulnerable because we have to connect now from a distance? Hmm. I'll have to think about that. That's an interesting question. The thing about the handshake or, or the kisses is that they become automatic yeah. and we don't pay attention to that anymore it, it's more like a ritual it's like saying hey how are you and then the other person says yeah i'm good how are you yeah i'm good okay bye yeah short conversations like that it's more like this is what we learned to do but it's also a beginning and the end huh? no. the easy thing about the handshake or the quick kiss hello is that this is where you start and when you do it again this is where you say goodbye so it's a it's it's in a way also very convenient But if we would, um, that's something to discuss tonight, because I want everyone to do that when they leave. If you 
pay attention to every person whose hand you shake and whose cheeks you kiss. I assume when you kiss people on the mouth, you pay attention anyway. <laughs> but sure but if, you, if you do the regular greeting, that you should pay attention to how much effect it has when you really pay attention when you do that. Because you remember people who, who put their body and mind in that handshake with you. It feels totally different. And it's like, sometimes you meet people, you, you have a line of people that, whose hand you shake, and there's one that looks at you and holds your hand differently. It's, uh, it's very powerful. If you're that person, you conquer the world. True, indeed, indeed. The, the good thing about the, the handshake or, or the hello, goodbye kiss is that it, it's a ritual that we all have agreed on and everyone knows the rule and we know what it means. And it's very convenient. It's also good or our brains like it because it's predictable. I know what it means. Now we're beginning the conversation. He's paying attention to me or she's paying attention to me. And now I'm leaving and, and I can't predict what happens. And now that we shouldn't do that, everyone feels a little bit awkward because we don't have come up, at least not yet, with a new ritual of saying hello or goodbye that, that we're all comfortable with. And for, till now, at least, it feels just like awkward. Oh, uh, uh, my hands are, don't know where to put my hands. Do I say hello? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, and we cannot predict how we're going to greet each person because some people are okay. Oh, no, give me your hand. Some people want to follow the rules strictly. And this not being able to predict how I'm going to greet this person or, or say hello, that's, the, the brain doesn't like that. We are, our brains are prediction machines. It's very un, uncomf out of our comfort zone. But now I'm thinking, like in a lot of cultures, like in Asia, that you do a bow to say hello, goodbye, or thank you. Um, so then it doesn't really matter. Maybe you have to step a bit further away from each other, but still... Uh, they don't have a problem because <laughs> I guess yeah. that, that they don't touch, so that that's a good. Uh, they they don't have the challenge yeah. uh, of coming up with a new way of of greeting or or saying goodbye. But maybe this is the opportunity to find out new ways of uh, connecting with people that don't require touching each other using other senses like the eyes or just uh, facial gestures, a smile, or speaking, saying hello. I think that's where we should stop. Thank you very much, Maribel. I'm very much looking forward to tonight. And uh, I hope we find many more and new rituals. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It was great uh, having this conversation.